Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is episode number 392. Yes, you guessed it. I've been doing this show for four years. It comes out twice a week. We are staring down at the four-year anniversary and 400 episodes. Almost all these episodes have been interviews with really cool entrepreneurs who are making things happen in the world, and today is no different. But before I get started with today's show, we have a new sponsor here at Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, and I want to tell you about them because many of you have physical products that you either sell or give to your customers and your fans. But dealing with all that physical stuff, the printing of it, the warehouse, the shipping of it, that can be a pain and it steals your precious time. My friends at Amplifier blend order fulfillment, screen printing, and on-demand production into a single self-service platform that you totally control. They can integrate all of your e-commerce shops and help you drive giveaway campaigns. They're great for big internet powerhouses as well as small entrepreneurs who are just starting out. And I know because I'm in the process of working with Amplifier. On-demand means no inventory risk. So as you grow, you can then stock up on inventory, and Amplifier can help you handle that as well. I have a shirt that I printed that says, take, I'm sorry, that says, try new things. And everywhere I wear it, people are like, that's a cool shirt. Where can I get one? So I'm working with Amplifier to get it set up for print-on-demand so that I can offer this shirt out to people as well, because that's my biggest piece of advice is try new things, and Amplifier has been awesome to work for. They're helping me get set up with a with a Shopify store and they take care of the back end and the quality of their product. Awesome. Hey, so go over to amplifier.com slash cool things and you can sign up right there and find out all the information you would ever need to know. So today's show, I am going to interview Steve Little. And Steve is somebody who I just met last week. I met him at the New Media Summit that I attended. Uh, You're going to be hearing me interview a lot of people because there were a lot of cool entrepreneurs at this place. And I just walked around and gave out my card to a bunch of really interesting people. Steve started his first business when he was 13 years old. He is now an investor. He does all kinds of things. So, Steve, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate being here. And I appreciate the time we spent together out at the conference. So you're kind of a renaissance man. You do too many things. I can't even describe it. Why don't you tell the audience who is Steve Little and what do you do? All right. I, uh, I'll do just that. So as you mentioned, I started my first business when I was 13. I sold it when I was 15 for almost a quarter of a million dollars and sort of never that's, looked back. That's uh, crazy. When I was 15, <laughs> I was trying to steal beer from my older brother. <laughs> well, that's a cool thing then, right? <laughs> hey, it's how you look at it. <laughs> Now, then, uh, wait, what um, was it? Wait, I'm not going to let you just go with that. What was that okay. business? What did you do at 13 that made you a quarter million dollars in two years? Well, it's interesting, and it actually is relevant to my story. It's, uh, I started a lawn care company. I was actually, the story is I was under my dad's feet one Saturday. He was doing chores around the place, and I was a, being an annoying 13-year-old. Like we, we all are, or were. Yeah, why don't you go do something with yourself? Hey, there's a lawnmower. Go cut the grass. When you get done with that, cut the neighbor's grass. If he's still done cut the one next to it, right? So 
And uh, so I started pushing a lawnmower, and it took me less than an hour to realize I don't like pushing lawnmowers. So I uh, hired the kid next door to push the lawnmower, and I arbitraged the fee, <laughs> and that worked out all right. So I charged eight bucks and paid five bucks. So you know I made three bucks for sitting on a rock, and uh, decided that hey, I could probably do this more. So I went up and down the street and got people to let me come cut their grass on Saturdays and Sundays and. And uh, pretty soon I had 35 yards and I was riding my bike through the neighborhood every week, getting them to commit to the next Saturday. And what happened for me, Tom, is um, August in Pennsylvania, the grass doesn't grow very fast. So I started to hear people say, hey, you know, you're doing a great job, but uh, grass isn't growing that fast. Why don't you give it two weeks? Come back in a couple weeks. And that was all right. But after about five times in a row, I thought, man, this is going to cost me some money. So uh, I sort of came up with the idea of offering people uh, a contract, a semi-annual and annual contract where I would agree to cut their grass in the summer, rake the leaves in the fall, clean up the shovel to walk and clean up the ice in the winter. If their storm came, I'd pick up the sticks. I'd keep everything looking nice and in order. I wasn't going to do any heavy landscaping, but I'd keep everything in order. All they had to do was agree to this, you know, one monthly fee. And uh, just about everybody took that, and uh, I was off and running, and, and you know, I could keep people working and so forth, and that worked out really well. Then uh, one day, my dad came home and said he'd been transferred. I said, well, what am I going to do with my business? Well, now, my dad didn't realize I'd actually built a business out of this. He thought I was just out cutting the neighbor's yard for five bucks a crack or something, right? And, uh, uh, you know, he was saying, well, I'm sure they'll understand, you know, that we're moving. You can't, you know, I said, no, I don't think you understand that. So I had, uh, kept a notebook, uh, update myself a little bit back when I was in grade school, uh, in junior high school, they had, uh, uh, loose leaf notebooks that had like a blue canvas cover on them. You could write on it. Yes. I am old enough to have had those. Types yeah, you of know what I'm bodies. talking about. That. Yes. And I'd written on mine, uh, Steve's big book of business. And in there were all the contracts for all the yards that I was taking care of. And uh, I was a lot of them. I was, uh, at the time I was about 65 of them and, and I had, you know, 30 people working for me and, you know, it was a pretty big operation. So I, I brought the book down to him and showed it to him. And as he was leafing through the, the contracts, you know, it sort of dawned on him what he was looking at. And he looked up at me, he said, you've got all these projects? These, these are all your jobs. I said, yeah. He said, how do you have time to do all this? I don't do the work. I just go collect the money, pay the people who are doing the work. And he shook his head in disbelief. You know, he's an engineer. And, uh, you know, I said, well, maybe we can sell it. Maybe if you drive me into town, you know, this was around the time when uh, companies like Lawn Doctor and whatnot were, were just getting traction in this part of the country. I actually don't know how long they've been around, but um, that's where I started seeing them. And I said, maybe somebody will buy it. And uh, long story short, uh, they both bid on it, and the guy who paid the most won, and he got the book of contracts. And the reason that's relevant, Tom, is that in the work I do today, I'm really all about helping people understand what, what drives the value of your business and how do you leverage a value driver uh, to grow a more successful, uh, more valuable business? And, and uh, in that case, while I could not have articulated it at the age of 15, reflecting back on it, that book of contracts was the value driver. 
Because once I understood that what the guy would pay for was the contract, I went out and got more contracts, and boosted the value of my business even more, right? So, um, so that sort of started, uh, started a theme for me, and I carried that forward for the, the next uh, 20 some odd years or so. I built uh, uh, six software companies of my own and sold each of them for over $100 million and, and had a lot of success there. Then I was out in the Bay Area working for top tier VC firms. I did six more companies for them, had a lot of success and made, made good money there and uh, retired young and you know, raised a couple of daughters and one got married, one's in college and I got bored. So I started, uh, started back again and, uh, realized this time around being a little older that, you know, I've really had a blessed life and, and uh, it, you know, I'm one of those people that I don't really feel like I have anything special other than my willingness to go out there and make things happen for others. And, and I've always had a heart for giving. And, uh, you know, I got to looking at all the different things that I've been able to accomplish in all those years. And uh, so I really got focused on uh, on philanthropy and really finding ways to give back to my community, both locally and internationally. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, that's really the greatest blessing of all is when you've had success and you can you can actually move that forward uh, and give forward or give back into the community and, and, and accomplish things that wouldn't otherwise be available to you. So why don't you go a little deeper and tell us more about what you do now? I mean, that was kind of the, the 10,000 square foot, you know, yeah. overview, but, but what do you do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So, uh, I own a, uh, a boutique equity investment M&A firm. Uh, we, we work primarily with, uh, small and middle market business owners. Uh, we, uh, invest a lot of time and energy helping them find and leverage the the high value drivers for their business. You know, what I've learned over the years is that if you ask the average business owner uh, what drives the value of his or her business, they, they don't really know the answer to that question. And I explain why it's critically important to, to know what drives the value of your business, because if you don't know, you don't know what to invest in. Mm-hmm. So you could find yourself 10 or 12 years down the road having invested all your time and money in intellectual property when the thing that was driving the value of your business was perhaps customer acquisition. So, you know, you would have invested in the wrong area, not knowing that the key value driver for your business was something you weren't investing in. So, you know, people generally get that once they hear it, but it's, it's never presented and you don't, it's not something you stumble onto when you're focused on starting, building and growing a business, right? You don't really think in terms of value building and exit strategies and that kind of thing. Are, are, so, you, in, are you involved at all with the Association for Corporate Growth with ACG? I'm not. I'm a, a member of some other associations that are similar, though. So the, uh, the reason I ask is my wife runs the Association for Corporate Growth for Central Texas. So I'm, I'm, I'm uh, very well aware of all the stuff that you're talking about because the group she runs focuses on middle market companies and exit strategies and growth. So great. Well, uh, I'd love to meet her. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, anyway, so you get the idea. And, you know, we focus there. We We have some methodologies that we've developed over the past 40 years I've been doing this, that, that uh, we're able to significantly enhance the value of our client businesses. We get, on average, 2 to 400% more for the company than they would otherwise get. Uh, we had one last year where we picked up uh, about a 750% value gain from the work we did. Um, and so we're able to take a business owner, help them, you know, really maximize the value of the asset that they've, they're investing in, and 
usually it's the largest app set that they're going to build in their experience in their lifetime. So, you know, it's a big deal to help them make the most out of that. But probably most importantly, Tom, is that with my own transformation over the years and my own experience with becoming mission oriented and, and, you know, uh, conscious capitalism and, and the emergence of the evolved enterprise, you know, I really focus a lot of attention on helping my clients um, get connected with their highest purpose, their greatest mission. What are they here to accomplish? You know, every business owner uh, went out there to build a business. They, they had something was driving them. You know, you don't, go through the process of building your own business if something's not driving you to do it. And what often happens is they get so focused on the day-to-day operation and, you know, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, the arrows and doing battle and business that they, they lose sight of that, that big purpose of what they had in mind when they started. And by reconnecting them with that or connecting them with a new mission, it helps them see that, Hey, you know, you're going to experience a great windfall when we get done with this. And with that windfall, you can do a lot of good in the world. You can, you can have a big impact. You can, you know, you can house the homeless in Haiti. You can feed starving children in India. You can, you can, you know, house the homeless downtown in Austin or wherever you are. Right. So, you know, it's getting people connected with that and it allows them to really sort of um, get the greatest possible have the greatest possible experience from the the growth of their business, and so it, it's a very rewarding way uh, to approach this. Well, and I by love- doing that, I get to give forward, and I can get to see other entrepreneurs go out and do well by doing good. Right. Well, and I love the point you bring up about people losing f- focus of that that purpose and that passion of what got them into the business in the first place. So I'm about two years into what I think is about a five-year study about potential and what yeah. holds people back from the potential they have as be it an entrepreneur or even as an employee, really in any situation, even on a personal side. What, what causes that gap between potential and results? And one of the buckets, there's sort of everything falls into three buckets in, in this research that I'm doing, and that is it falls into your plans. So it's goal setting and knowing what success looks like. It falls into the people you surround yourself with, who's on your team, who are your mentors. Yeah. And then the other bucket is, you know, I, I kind of go back and forth between whether I call it passion or purpose because they're so intertwined. And yet I'm surprised how many people lose sight of that. So, yes, so why is it common that people lose sight of their, their purpose and their passion? Well, you know, I think there's a number of reasons and there's a number of key contributors. Number one, we're not taught that. I mean, nowhere in your grade school, junior high school or high school experience did you have anyone ever say, what's your purpose in life, <laughs> right? So we aren't taught that. That isn't yeah, it developed. Was, it was it isn't... go do math. It wasn't what do you love, what do you love to do. It's, right. It, that, that conversation doesn't happen. It's time <laughs> for history. It's not, it's time for whatever you're passionate about. Right, right. So, I mean, there are some schools that are, that are doing that, you know, but for the most part, and certainly in your and my era, that wasn't part of the conversation. So that's the first thing. And so we get, we get sort of uh, acculturated to a certain way of thinking. And then when we start a business or when we go get a job, we focus on, you know, the, the ethic, the work ethic of the job. Do the job, get the job done, more and more, faster, faster, bigger, bigger, right? Like that. And, you know, if we develop this attitude that the reward comes later. Look, when I came up, the story was you go to school, you get a degree, 
you get a job, you work about 40 years, and if you don't take too many vacations and you don't waste your money, about age 60, you'll be set and good to go. But nobody, you know, but nobody told me the rest of the story that you wouldn't be good to go and like that, right? Well, I mean, so, in, to quote to quote Dr. Phil, how's that working out for you? For most, yeah, exactly. for most people, I mean, for you, it's working out great. But for most people, how is that working out? Well, it's working out great for me because I didn't follow it, right? <laughs> I, I jumped off that train early enough in my life where I was able to to generate some some success that I've been able to parlay into other things, but. The vast majority of people I meet and greet and talk to every day are struggling with this. And they, they all want to give. They all want to do something. They, I don't know an entrepreneur in the world that doesn't want to have an impact somewhere. That's why they're doing it. But, but they feel like they got to do something else first before they can go for the impact. What I try to help people understand is, look, if you'll invest in the impact now, what ends up happening is that energy whether you think of it metaphysically or spiritually, whether it's the universe or God, it's up to you. That's all. That's just phraseology, in my opinion. But if you put it out there and you give, then you're going to get. You're going to receive. Your thing is going to grow. The business is going to grow. It's going to be healthier. It's going to be happier. The people who are going to come to work and stay there, and they're going to contribute more. They're going to look for ways to grow the business and help you. You know, it's it. It the whole thing becomes better. If you orient yourself to giving as part of the benefit of being in business for yourself. Well, and it doesn't a, even it doesn't even have to be big. I mean, what I did when I, no. when I when I became a professional speaker, one of the things I did is we were very fortunate. We had a kid who went through a pretty serious medical condition when she was a baby, and she's now sixteen. But I don't know, twelve years ago or something like that, when I started speaking professionally, and I still had a full time job, so the speaking money was like bonus, like that was take the family yeah. to Europe money. We yeah. pledged a couple of percentage points of it to what started as one and has become two research funds at Children's Hospital, both in Austin, where we live, and in San Diego, where Kate was operated on because we didn't have a state-of-the-art Children's Hospital 16 years ago, for cranial facial research. And we give just, you know, it's a little bit. I call it, I actually did a TEDx talk and I called it the art of giving small because it was $50 yeah. checks, $100 checks, $250 checks. But sometimes a client would match that or a client would give $1,000. And on Kate's birthday every year, we go onto Facebook and we raise a few hundred dollars. Fast forward 12 years, it's over $70,000 that we've donated to kids born with cranial facial abnormalities and, yep. and the research involved in helping. And that's with, with bone issues. Kate had to have her entire skull rebuilt and reshaped at, at a, as a six-month-old. But cranial facial issues are also things like cleft palate and stuff like that. It's the same doctors sure. who, who work on it. and. Sure. You know, I, I don't come from a family who has their name on the wall of hospitals. I, I didn't make the kind of money that you made in business. I didn't sell anything for $100 million. So I didn't think I could ever give – my wife and I could give $70,000, and yet that's what it's become, and it's exciting. I mean, like my daughter's 16. She goes, do you think in my lifetime it could be a million, like if she got involved yeah. with raising money and giving? And a, yes. That is such a great illustration of exactly what I'm talking about. Because the influence you've had on your daughter now, that, ex that multiplies the effect of your giving. So your giving went from 50 bucks to 70,000 bucks. Now it's going to go from 70,000 to a million, right? I mean, that's the kind of thing that happens. So that's really what it's about is, is stepping out there and doing what you can do, even if it's a little. You don't have to be wealthy to give. And if you give, 
the wealth generates. It comes back to you tenfold all the time. And it's a biblical principle if, you, if you're so inclined, but it's also a metaphysical principle if you're inclined that way. It's the truth of it is what it comes down to. So, you know, the thing that holds people back is this belief that they have to wait until they have enough, right? whatever that is. But what you find out when you get to be my age is, is never enough. You just have to go out there. Okay? Well, when, when, we started, out. <laughs> when we started giving the money, we started giving to our local children's hospital, not the one where Kate was operated on, because it was brand new. And it was like, oh, it's in our community. And uh, a couple of years into it, we had given and raised over $10,000. So it became a permanently named endowment. So yeah. at that same time, I got laid off and started my own business full time as a, as a professional speaker and corporate trainer. And people I knew said, well, you're going to stop giving now, now that you're like needing to like start your business and pay your mortgage. You're, you're not going to give those couple of percentage points anymore. And I yeah. was like, we, it's $50 here and there. I mean, I'm getting a big check. I give $250. We barely miss it. And there were people who were like, oh, I'd hold back on the giving till you get your business established. And my yeah. wife and I said, you know what? We're just going to keep giving at this small amount because it was momentum. Absolutely. No doubt about it. And it also shows the way for others. So even if you did, you have broken out of that and level and gone higher and, and you will continue to do so, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But even if you didn't, it's still going to drive and inspire other people, right? People who are stuck with this notion that they have to wait to do what they're here to do are the ones that unfortunately get to the end and go, you know, I never got to do what I wanted to do because <laughs> they never started, right? So it, it's not just about money. It's about where you invest your time and your energy and who you are. I mean, I know people, Tom, and I'm sure you know some too, who, you know, they, they work a career, maybe they're a business owner, maybe they're an employee somewhere, but they work hard, they make money, they do well, they take care of their family, but they never really get to invest in the life that they want to have. They never really get to take their, their family to the African safari or whatever, whatever silent dream you keep in the back of your mind, right? The thing that you've always dreamt of doing. And everybody has them. Whether or not they deal with them is a different issue. But if they don't do them, you really do get to the end with regret. And I can't think of a more horrible experience than getting to the end of my life and regretting that I didn't do what I was here to do. Amen. Well, the people who listen to this show know that my sort of personal mantra is I'm going to make 50 to 75 the best years of my life. Age 50 to 75, I'm just going to rock it. Now, yeah. that's a big statement because I've had a fairly good life, right? So it's not like things sucked up until 50. It was all good. Yeah. But I yeah. always found reasons to argue not to do things. Oh, we can't spend the right. money or, oh, we shouldn't do that. Or, oh, I'm trying to build a business or, or people might laugh at me or what are people going to think? And so I've just started saying yes to opportunities. My, my daughter wants to hike the Appalachian Trail after she graduates college. Now, this is my younger daughter, not my daughter who's going to graduate next year or this would be coming, that'd be coming up too quick. But yeah. my, my high school daughter wants to do a through hike of the Appalachian Trail and has convinced wow. has convinced me to go with her in six years. Oh, that's going to be such an amazing experience for you. I, well, but here's the deal. I'm a city kid, right? I grew up in Los Angeles. I, don't, I didn't hike. I never camped. And yet yeah. I realized that in this, with this being my mantra, I had to say yes, because I got yeah. six years to prepare. And so yeah. now I'm hiking locally and we've been to the Grand Canyon in Yosemite. And 
it's it's exciting. I'm learning about nature in my fifties, and then How about that? and then I started doing stand up comedy just because I always wanted to as a kid. I wanted to be a comic or an actor or do something like that. And I always found reasons that what if I suck? What if I bomb? What if people make fun of me? Well, I don't care if someone makes fun of me. So I've done twenty five open mic nights now That's as fabulous. as just part of this. You know, I'm not expecting to become a professional comic or to ever get paid, but it's like let's go see if I can learn this skill and and the byproduct of it is I'm actually becoming a better speaker. Not because I'm using yeah. comedy in my presentations, but I've developed a new level of confidence and just ability to play with the audience that even after 10 years of doing this, I don't think I had. So I totally agree. I don't want any regrets. And if I was in a regret factory by saying no, I'm out of it now. Yeah, you know, it's really, really so great to hear, Tom. And, and I applaud you for that, you know. And so many opportunities are there in front of us each and every day. And we just have to do exactly what you said is say yes. A couple of years ago, I got a text message from a friend said, hey, I just want a trip to the Amazon. You want to go? <laughs> That's awesome. I, I just said yes. I mean, I, I didn't look at my calendar. I didn't, you know, call anybody, see if I would, you know, could reschedule things. I just said, yeah, I'm going. Yeah. Well, like a- last year, I had a friend whose uncle got uh, inducted. I had already passed away, but he got inducted into the Memphis Music Hall of Fame. And uh, it was actually his wife's uncle, but nobody in the family could go. They all had other commitments. And he goes, when are we ever going to have a family member inducted to any Hall of Fame? He said, I'm right. going. And he called me. It was like two weeks out. He goes, do you want to come? And I said, sure. And yeah. I don't know anything about music. I don't know anything about Memphis. I had a great time for the cost <laughs> of an airline ticket. So it was right. like, you know, why not? Say, go, go for these things. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And, and you know, I know that the, the title of your show is cool things entrepreneurs do. But, you know, as you know, it, it really applies to everybody. You got you just say yes. I mean, while I was in the jungle, you know, we did a bunch of ceremonies and so on, which is what you do. And the shaman and I are talking one day and, and he says, you know, the thing, the good energy that you have is that you say yes. You just keep saying yes. Just keep saying yes. <laughs> well, you, you definitely, the shaman is right. I, if I have one thing in common with the shaman, I notice that you have good energy as well. So, so you've done a lifetime of entrepreneurship. What do you love about it? What's that little essence where you go, yeah, I just love being an entrepreneur? Yeah, you know, I, I, some of it is uh, self-serving. I like being my own boss and sort of, you know, being able to pick and choose who I work with and don't work with. So that's, that's a little bit selfish, I guess, in a way. Um, but mostly it's the opportunity to have a positive effect on the people around me. I, I just get so much pleasure when I see somebody achieve the thing they've always wanted to achieve. You know, I actually had a client, uh, when we sold his company, when we started, it was worth about 20 million. We ended up selling it for $67 million. That's pretty significant gain. He actually did handsprings down the hallway of his office, and it was such a moment. I mean, I literally cried. I just thought, wow, that's so cool that I could contribute to that much happiness. So what right? advice do you have for somebody who's listening to this going, I, I want to do it. I want to start my own thing. Yeah, well, so it's going to be interesting, a little different from what you might think. But when I advise people who want to start a business, I tell them, start with an exit strategy. Now, it sounds weird, but here's why I say that. The exit strategy, uh, thinking through your business t- to the end, you know, begin with the end in mind, I guess, is a sort of a trite way to say it, but thinking through your, your business idea all the way to the end 
is going to answer some of the most vital questions that if you don't have answered, could be catastrophic to the success of the business. It's going to force you to think through, well, who are my customers going to be? And what will they pay for this product idea I have? And how hard is it going to be to produce this product? And Right? So it keeps you sort of out of trouble on the one hand. The other thing it does is it forces you to think through who would buy this company. I mean, what I like to say to business owners is, look, there's going to be an exit. That's unavoidable. Whether you take your company public or you keel over dead at your desk, one or the other, <laughs> okay, there's going to be an exit. And the key is you've invested your life important aspects of your life, your money, your time, your energy, your resources in building an asset, you want that asset to be worth all it should be worth whenever that exit occurs, whatever kind of exit it is, right? Whether you leave it to your kids or whatever. So, so really understanding how to maximize the value of this investment you're making in a business is a vitally important aspect of building a business. So many people get into business and they get on the treadmill and they run, 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 run. And they're, you know, they're chasing revenue, they're chasing earnings, they're chasing profit, they're hiring people, they're firing people, they're making partners, they're selling stuff, you know, whatever. They're so busy doing that, that they never stop and think about, is the value of this thing growing? Or am I just building myself the hardest job I ever imagined having? Right. And what I like to tell people, if you want a job, go get a job. Don't build your own job. That's a really hard job. Okay? <laughs> right. Okay. If you want to build a business, build a business. Right. But think of it in terms of I'm going to build an asset and it's going to start with this product here. And I've verified and it's because I, I'm thinking in terms of the end. I'm thinking in terms of, OK, once I've built this business to, to you know, to this size, who would buy it? Why would they buy it? Would they buy it because of the customers? Would they buy it because of the intellectual property? Would they buy it because of the brand? Would they buy it because, uh, uh, because of me, my employees? You know, there's a lot of reasons why big companies buy small ones, and those are the reasons that drive the value of the business. You know, when I ask business owners, you know, what drives the value of your business, 99% of the time, the response is a question. They say something like, what do you mean? Like revenue and earnings? Is that what you mean? And I've stopped and say, well, no, this is a really important thing for you to understand. And it's not revenue and earnings, because if it was, then you couldn't explain Zappos, and Snapchat, you know, and those companies to me, <laughs> because they have no revenue, they have no earnings, but they're worth $25 billion. So how could that be? Right? Because something else is responsible for the value of the business. And you need to understand what that is. Right? <laughs> and so, once a business owner sees that and can recognize it, now they can make better decisions. They can decide, well, I'm going to invest here in my business because this is building value. I'm going to invest over here because I want to, but I'm doing it knowing it's not building value. You can still do it, but you have to know that you're not boosting the value of your business if you do, right? Um, it, it allows you to put together the right incentive programs for your employees and your partners, allows you to put the right strategic partnerships in place, allows you to get the right investors if you need investors in, in growing and scaling your business, right? So it, it opens up all the things that need to be available to you in order to be successful. So that's why I say the first piece of advice for anyone who wants to start a business is develop an exit strategy. 
Whether you exit or not is not the point. Right. The exit strategy is not about the exit. It's about the strategy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, well, Steve, I've got a couple more questions for you before I let you go. But first, sure. I got to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Steve Little. Hey, if you (laughs) want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Steve, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing with your business right now? Oh, well, um, <laughs> I, do, I do a lot of things every day. I, you know, uh, some of the cool uh, uh, campaigns I'm involved in, one of the most recent ones is uh, I'm, begin, I'm giving to a project called Beneath the Waves, which is all around the preservation of shark species around the world. Oh, my daughter would love that. My daughter loves sharks. Yeah, well, down in the U.S., British Virgin Islands, we got to go uh, shark tagging. And we got to go swimming uh, with Kate, sharks. Kate I mean, would want to go so bad. These, were, these weren't, uh, these were big ass tiger sharks. You know? so, and we were down about 30 feet feeding them. You know, it was crazy, just crazy stuff, right? But it was fun. Uh, you know, we, we do a lot of trips like that uh, with an organization I'm involved in. And, and uh, you know, other than that, I, I really invest a lot of time uh, coaching and mentoring and just being available for other people. Uh, to help them uh, get what they want out of life. I'm a four-time champion bodybuilder and powerlifter, and one of my goals is to, uh, I won my first contest when I was 19 years old, and I wanted to win the very same contest when I was 60, which is next year. So I'm training for that, and hopefully I'll be able to pull that off. Nice. <laughs> Should be fun. Nice. Uh, you know, it's so it's just really being out there and, you know, trying to make lives better. I mean, I, I know it sounds trite and simple, but, you know, I try to smile every day. <laughs> so I love to ask everyone who comes on the show, I love to ask them directly, who do you admire out there in the world of entrepreneurships? Because we could talk about Steve all day long, but I think great entrepreneurs, yeah. I think they're observers. So who do you look at and say, he or she, they're doing the cool things? Yeah. Well, I got a couple that, um, that I really do focus attention on. I, I'm a great fan uh, of Jack Welch's, uh, Jack, for, former chairman and CEO of General Electric. Uh, he, I happened to have an opportunity to get to know Jack very early in my career. Uh, I learned things about him that people would never guess. He's, you know, he's a meditator. He's a spiritualist. I mean, he really is a deep, deep thinker, uh, cares deeply about his organization. So I, I've always modeled myself after Jack. You know, I have my own little mantra, what would Jack say if I did this, right, that kind of thing. Uh, so I really admire that man, and I certainly, even more so now that he and his wife Susie are doing the things they're doing uh, with business owners and helping entrepreneurs generate more success. I'm a great fan of Richard Branson's. Uh, you know, I think that he is truly committed to having a major impact on the world. I've had the pleasure of, of traveling with him and, and spending time with him on different uh, different types of venues and, and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful human, human being to know and very well balanced in terms of, you know, understanding 
what our role in life here is, what we're all about, why, why we really need to be oriented this way. Um, those are probably two of the, the most well-known. Um, I also have a great deal of admiration for a dear friend of mine uh, who's probably less well-known, a gentleman by the name of Yannick Silver, who runs an organization called Maverick. Uh, I'm a member. I know that 300 and some odd of us around the world. And we are actually an organization that's fully committed to doing good in the world and uh, contributing in significant ways with our creative energies as entrepreneurs. We'll go in and, and uh, for instance, recently we went in uh, after the big hurricane in Puerto Rico. Uh, we went in three weeks later, worked with local entrepreneurs to help them figure out how to set up international distribution so they could stay in business since there wasn't anybody on the island buying anything. Right? So, you know, we had to, to help them uh, figure out ways to, to reach into other nations and, and generate the revenue they needed, which then could stimulate the economy and bring it back to life and so forth. So, you know, um, just lots of things like that. I just admire people who take leadership uh, in these roles, and, and I aspire to be one of them. I, I hope that years later, you know, when I'm gone, somebody will say, I really liked what that guy Steve Little did. Right? I have... <laughs> Uh, my, my, uh, you know, we talk about what did we want on our tombstone? You ever done that exercise? If you oh, yeah. work with a, a development firm or something and they'll say, you know, what do you want written on your tombstone? And, you know, I thought long and hard about that. And what I want on my tombstone is I wanted to say he brought joy to my life. That's awesome. Well, if this podcast brought joy to someone's life and they want to know more about you, where do people find you? How do they get in touch with Steve Little? Yeah, easiest way to do that is I, I have a website and I, I keep a lot of you know free stuff up there for people. Go to uh, zerolimitsventures.com. That's zerolimitsventures.com, all lowercase, all one word, slash, forward slash, access, A-C-C-E-S-S. Up there, there's, a, there's a, a, something called the Valuation Growth Playbook sort of an instruction manual on how to find your key value drivers and leverage them. There's a training video that I did. There's also an opportunity to register for a one-hour uh, strategic uh, value growth strategy session with me, uh, directly with me personally. So that's, that's my offer, and it's out there, and, <laughs> and I'd love to, to entertain anybody who's interested in, in looking at it. Well, that's awesome. I can't imagine anybody who's listened to the last 40-plus minutes of this uh this interview, who isn't blown away by both your, your giving nature, your success, and your kind of just down-to-earth true advice that you have for entrepreneurs and, and those who want to be. So I want to say thank you so much for joining us here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, Steve. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it very much. Uh, I look forward to seeing you again around town. Yeah, and I always say uh, to everyone at the end of every episode, if it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. So thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if this is the first time you've ever listened, uh, I hope you'll come back and listen to another episode. If you've listened to all 392 episodes, which I don't know that anybody has listened to them all, but if you've listened to many of them, thank you so much for being an avid listener. Uh, I try very hard to bring a wide variety of people who can share a lot of good ideas, and I think we do that twice a week, every Tuesday and Thursday here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So come back for the next episode. Uh, we're going to interview somebody just as cool as Steve. I know you're thinking, how is that possible, Tom? How will you find anybody? But we always do. But in the meantime, go out there and try some new things, but have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.